Welcome to the Global Payroll Association's podcast in partnership with ADP, Women in Payroll. My name is Melanie Pitsy and I'm the CEO of the Global Payroll Association. I'm so excited to run this series of podcasts to give me the opportunity to introduce to you some of the inspirational female leaders that I've met over the last 20 years within the payroll community. My co-host today is Graham Wiley, who is the Vice President Marketing International of ADP. During our podcast, we will be discussing the highs and lows of individuals' careers and find out how they have got to where they are today. Hi, Graham. Hi, Mel. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good, really good. Looking forward to today's conversation with Joy. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. So, as they say, let's get on with the show. Um, my name is Joy Hartigan. I am the a director at Microsoft. I'm the global process owner. So I have global payroll. So my responsibility is really the strategy and the direction for the uh, global payroll and how we pay people at Microsoft. So not the actual service delivery. I'm not involved in actually the paying people. There is a fabulous team that deals with that day in, day out and all of the uh, requirements. But my role and my team's role is much more around the processes and the way we do that and managing the contracts for the suppliers that we work with that support us in doing that delivery uh, globally. Joy, how did you come to be involved in payroll in the first place? So my first role in payroll was in the civil service and I was um, working for a government department that a very long time ago, and I'm not going to admit how many years, was one of the first government departments to work move away from um, Chessington when we were allowed to move away. Um, and they were allowed to do their own payrolls in civil service because it was always compulsory. You had to be paid through Chessington and that was how civil service pay was done. And the go- uh, government department I worked for took the initiative and said, right, we're going to move away. So I got to experience payroll from the policy and the payment side in civil service. Had no knowledge of actual once it got to the tax and social security and all those pieces, but got to work in that area. And that's how my career started. And... I found a qualification um, that I thought, okay, I'm going to work in payroll. So I went to my boss and said, I found this, can I do it? And it was the um, CIPP award uh, accreditation. So I did that. um, And I remember I fast tracked it and I did it in a year. And all I could focus on was I wanted to get to my 30th birthday. And everyone was like, why do you want to get to your 30th? It's like, because two days before my dissertation has to be in. (laughs) And that's all I wanted to do was get my dissertation in so that I'd got this... um, this qualification finished so yeah that was that was how I started and then I just um, different payroll roles from there so payroll wasn't then your first job you you started doing no, something civil else service first. civil service so an admin um, just a basically in a data admin person within HR within civil service okay and ended up in payroll and and Chessington um is is, is a place in England but I'm I, it also obviously refers to something else so I'm, I'm missing some yeah, history Chessington software Chessington. yeah it, I, I was going to say, I haven't heard of that for such a long time. So it was bought out by Group Bull. Right. And Group Bull bought out the... So they bought out Chessington as a service, but they wanted the servers, basically. And then it sort of got disbanded and it doesn't, it doesn't exist now. But that's where all civil service payrolls were done at one time. So that's what Chessington existed for, was to pay the civil service. And so my only knowledge of the UK civil service is through watching Yes Prime Minister and Yes Minister, which is a UK TV show, which makes it seem a very fixed and um, 
uh, not flexible organization. So that transition uh, in a in a very um, traditional organization of moving away from one technology into something else. What what was the main takeaway for you in in, in working? There was two parts to it. So there was the fact that there was the opportunity to do something different and the government it was the land registry I was working for they took that opportunity I don't think they really appreciated what they were doing um it was oh we can do this but actually legacy of civil service nobody actually knew what the payroll was to actually tell someone else how to do it so that took years to understand and and Anybody who's worked in the civil service that knows what the rules were like, there was, you know, the absence policy in the civil service was you got paid for a year, but there was a rollback of four years, but there was also a rollback of six months. And you go so many periods back as to when you went from half pay to no pay. And and it was quite complex. And having to research everything that had gone on in regard to pay, put that up to date and then tell a payroll provider how to do that and then get them to build the rules because they were basically like, we don't have these rules anywhere else in the world. We've never seen this. And then suddenly you're asking us to do something. The civil service has always been complex. I think it still is. Um, so that was sort of the complexity. So it was a massive learning curve and it was really painful. And it was probably the biggest learning I had in how to do an implementation because it took years just going back and forth. So now when somebody says, well, transition takes six months, like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Having done the first one, it took three years. <laughs> so you, you, you got your you got your certificate um, just before your 30th birthday. Yes. And then the transition itself, I think, took three years. So, so what then? Did you stay for the duration of the transition? Did you see it through from beginning right to the end? Or did something new come along in, in that process? No, so then while that was completing, there was a lot of changes in the structure um, of the way that um, civil service service pay was done and I looked at opportunities and there was a um, I had the ability to move to another government department so I actually applied for a role and became um, the payroll leader and another government department and the head of payroll so I moved sort of sideways basically interestingly as, as <laughs> moved them in the payroll as well so again but was running the payroll department um, while I did it um, and did that for quite a number of years and then really sort of took opportunities to move to different directions, do different things and head a payroll. Um, and then I've been working um, in consulting and for payroll um, company and then ended up eventually at Microsoft. Um, worked at Guys and St. Thomas's Hospital for 12 months as well, looking at payroll there. So, yeah, so different different roles, different heads of payroll, consulting, implementation, you know. And in your current role, global role, global process owner, how many people's pay do you and your team touch? How many people are you responsible for around the world? So in Microsoft, there are over 130,000 people that are paid by global payroll. Wow. That's a there big group two, of stakeholders. <laughs> yes. There are two parts to Microsoft's payroll. There is the what we call the domestic side and the international side. So domestic side is the US payroll, in effect, and that is run by an in-house team on an in-house system. Um, so we use SAP and pay through that way and then we have the international side which is the other 108 countries around the world that I come under the scope of international payroll and that is a different model that's outsourced and and so you're based here in the UK but you have a team worldwide that looks after those 108 
countries? Yes, so from a process. So there's a, there's a larger team than just my team. There is a, a global payroll team. So we have what we call payroll service delivery managers that are around the world that actually liaise with the countries. And there's obviously a payroll team in the um, in the US as well that deal with the, the payrolls in the US. And then my team is the global process team. Um, and we deal with the processes. So yes, I have uh, four of my team main members are based in Seattle. And I have one uh, who is based in Singapore. And, and so working globally, and many of the listeners are looking at, at global payroll, what have been some of the, the biggest challenges? You started your career looking at moving payroll from one model to another. And obviously now you're doing that sort of work, but on a much larger scale in terms of countries and complexity. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you found in moving into a global role? Everybody believes their payroll is the most complex in the world, wherever you go and talk to, and it can't possibly be standardised, it can't possibly be aligned, it can't possibly be changed. But the more you see of global payroll, the more you, you there are definitely you know similarities, there are certain factors that are the same no matter where you are in the world. And there are certain things that are different. I think it's appreciating and understanding um, the pain points that people will see, as in what they will see will be a pain point that isn't necessarily going to be a pain point, but it's a natural reaction. You know, we're too complex. Understanding where complexity comes in and being able to manage expectations around that. Um, looking at how um, different countries work and the culture and the expectation and, you know, knowing how to ask the questions and how you're going to get responses because um, sometimes you can ask the same question to 10 different countries and you will get very different reactions I don't necessarily mean answers but reactions to your question depending on the culture the way things work um, how things operate in those countries and when you the, the, the wider you are globally the more you see that you know, you can look at an email and, and, and read the email and from one country you would be like, oh, wow, that's quite harsh. And in others it's like, yep, that's the way they respond, you know. And it's just appreciating that and, and understanding. It's not always, you know, some countries will always be very, yes, obliging and do and others will be immediately no. And it's just the culture and the way of working. And how did you prepare for that? I mean, is there any is there any other way than just going through it in terms of moving into a global role and learning through experience when you receive those emails and contextualizing them? Or is there some advice and guidance you could offer for people who are starting that journey about how they could prepare themselves to, to understand those cultural differences? And I think when it comes to culture, I would always, always, always think twice before you react whatever your re reaction is stop and think if it's a extreme reaction if you know type the email walk away do not send it you know answer think about why are they why are they challenging me why are why is somebody questioning me um you know why aren't they doing what i'm asking it's easily said it's harder to put into practice but the, the more you can do that the better it is so I know from our perspective, we found that a challenge, but it's actually been quite good because we communicated with different people from different uh, countries that may have found some of it challenging and vice versa to actually talk about it, talk about the way that they've replied to that email, maybe laugh about it, um, because sometimes you receive an email and it can be not offensive, but 
can be challenging and actually when you just pick up the phone and talk so sometimes I think emails are sometimes the worst thing within business dealing with different cultures and sometimes you need to pick up the phone and just talk to them yeah although we don't pick up the phone in Microsoft because we use Teams (laughs) but I think yes it is but I think it's also that piece about you know if I look at I I will look at an email and then I look where it's come from not just what does the email say and then where it's come from can then help me to shape how I go forward or you know if one of my team is like I I got this back or you know is it, it read it and, and understand it who's who's sending it to you why but i think anything you do globally i think the biggest thing is the change management you can never underestimate how much time you need to invest in change management because if you don't have the when you're trying to affect change if you don't have the buy in and you don't have the communication and more communication than you can ever think you need. So whatever your plan is, double it, and then maybe add another 50% on top of it, and then still accept that some people still won't get it. So, you know, depending on the culture and the way of working, you know, some cultures will pick it up and be, yep, yep, get it, go go, go through. Others, you be you do it five times and they'll still be like, no idea what you're talking about. Mm. So it just depends who you're working with, but you can never assume, oh, I've, I've communicated enough there. And actually the communication, the buy-in and the change management is half the battle when you're trying to make a change. So anything you're trying to do globally, anything you're trying to put together, I think that makes the biggest difference. So if you were looking at a, a global transformation project, which do you think is the, the harder for a, a payroll professional to learn that change management piece or a change management person to understand payroll and the complexity? I mean, it seems like you've been quite uniquely positioned because right in your early career with, with payroll, you were straight into a transformation. So you've lived in that world for a period of time. But a great many people might only go through that once and, and uh, in their organization. So I, I'm intrigued about how you balance those two skill sets. I guess it depends on scope and scale. If you are doing a big enough transformation, I think you need both. I don't think you can say one one group can do it effectively either part only going to have one I guess you need I would say you need the payroll expertise and but you need need to invest in helping them to understand change management payroll expertise you've got to get it right so even if you pay change management is fantastic if the payroll's wrong at the end it doesn't really mean anything so you know yes you can make a mistake nobody's expecting it to be perfect but if it's completely built wrong and it doesn't deliver as expected and doesn't it doesn't matter how good change management is you've got the wrong product um so if you can only have one it's payroll but it has to be supported it can't be oh we'll just send a few emails we'll just do a couple of meetings it'll all be fine it starts at the top down you've got to start with the senior stakeholder depending on scope and scale of course but you've got to start at the top stakeholders get them involved get them aligned and agreed because when you get to country level, if things start rumbling, it rumbles up through their management. And if your top management isn't aligned, it, it, it doesn't stop it going up. And suddenly you have emails going to people that you really won't want emails going to, or it's completely inappropriate, but they feel it's the most important thing in the world that they have to comment on. Okay. And the whole series that we're looking at here is about um, women in leadership and in, in global payroll. And we had a a uh, fantastic conversation today with Jenny Garrett uh, talking about women in leadership roles. There's one thing that she touched on, which was um, 
clarity of communication and almost assertiveness. And you said something right at the beginning about when you took on the new role, you you went, you found the accreditation, you walked in, you said, I want to, to study this. This is going to be key. So I'm interested in, in how you built that assertiveness in your role and then what advice you offer to um, your your peers, your reports about how they think about managing their career and how they have those conversations. It's interesting because if if you'd have said to me at the time when I did that, I wouldn't have thought I was being assertive. I just thought I'd found a qualification and just went to do it. It wasn't ever entered my head that that's what I was doing. It's, it, it's it, And I would agree, but it was something Jenny yeah, specifically yeah. said that people are bad at doing um, yeah, in terms of yeah, asking yeah. for the training or the support. I just, I found it and thought I need to do. I think I've learned over the time... Um, I was clearing out some paperwork the other week and I was, it was some appraisals that I'd had when I was in the, um, in the the civil service and I was reading through them and I looked at them and if they weren't in my handwriting, I wouldn't have believed I'd written them. It was like, wow, I wrote that then. (laughs) I was quite sort of proud of myself. At the time, I wouldn't have, have sort of looked at it, but I think it was, I wouldn't have looked at, I'd achieved that. I, I had that, you know, situation to, and confidence to do that I wouldn't I don't remember myself being that way but reading it was like oh wow I was quite, quite impressed I'd be quite proud if I wrote that today let alone <laughs> all those years ago I think it's I've always had a confidence of doing the best for me not as in um the best to myself so I I'm very I'm not a very pushy person I'm not very overly oh how woe is me or you know how great I am but I do my firm belief is I won't let others do me down I won't if I'm you know whatever role I'm doing whatever I'm doing I want to do the best in my role the best for other people um and deliver the best I can and if that means I need to um tackle difficult situations I do it because I won't let that difficult situation mark me if you know so it's not that I feel oh yes I can do it I'm great at it or I enjoy it or whatever but it's I've always I think I've always had that underlying trait of I'm not going to let someone do me down. I'm not going to let somebody, you know, something influence me that is a, isn't right. So I've always been, okay, what's the right thing to do? How should I manage this? What's the right thing to do for somebody else? How do I support people? If I don't feel supported, I'll shout. I think maybe that's where one of the things that actually Jenny was talking about is like communication. And if you don't feel supported, I don't think a lot of people um, actually highlight that because they may see it as a slight weakness. And maybe we need to encourage people to talk more to their colleagues when they don't feel supported and it's not actually a weakness because actually benefits the company and the rest of the team at the end of the day doesn't it oh yeah definitely I think you need to you need to have that confidence so you've got a huge team and well a huge payroll that you deal with um and I can imagine it's quite challenging so at at the moment what, what do you think your biggest challenge is within your role we've gone through quite a, a big transition um within uh, within our payroll um, over the last few years, um, we have moved to a new model and changed payroll providers um, and all in five years. So five years ago, we had um, about three or four countries live in our model. We now have 105. So we've gone through a big change. And I think it's now moving into that stabilizing mode. Um, but it's it's, again 
communication because whilst you've gone through five years and you believe everybody knows what's going on and everybody's working through all the different areas, um, you know, resources changing and then they're not familiar with the model. So then they're coming back and talking about different things um, and going through different areas. And then you're suddenly being questioned on something that you thought was all buttoned down. So it's that continual process. So run state isn't a static state. And I think that sometimes people forget so it's trying to go through and remember that there's resource changing all the time people are challenging and other changes in the business impact on what you do so the structure that we put in place in the way we work um has is not the structure that is in is in place today so that the teams that we work with have changed so therefore there's a change to the model that we never anticipated you know we we, we built our model and that, oh, we, those people this stakeholders and this stakeholders and they've changed and so how do you measure your success along that journey? So it's one thing to say, yep, we're live in 30 countries, 50, 70, 100. Um, but you know, in terms of things that the business is focused on, the financial metrics, some of the other things that um, your team will impact, how do you, how do you measure and, and, and come up with the metrics that you're then communicating to, to keep people engaged in the journey and supportive of the journey? I think, um, so when we started out, um, we very much had the metrics with our service providers. So it's, you know, you get your ADP metrics or Solergo metrics or whatever payroll company you're working with and, you know, your different areas. And it's like, yes, okay, payroll was delivered in this country. It was accurate. You know, it's all green. Great. And then we, as we were, you're working with stakeholders, you very quickly learn that actually, yeah, that's fine. But when you didn't get 10 new hires sent to you, that country then doesn't feel green because it's like, well, you didn't pay 10 people. OK, we didn't know about them in payroll. So, yes, we did our piece. So then it's that evolution to say, actually, the different statuses of a country for different reasons and um, very much the ecosystem of our, the ecosystem of payroll, not just what global payroll loans so it's that getting the data to us and and having the metrics so we have a payslip error free rate that basically looks at all of the information that comes through from all the different stakeholders and that contributes to the to that error free rate that isn't what we necessarily put in the bank for people but that lets us see where we've got a problem with one of our upstream partners. Did we miss having some information from HR or miss something from finance or miss something from a car provider or benefits provider or whatever? And that is how we've evolved. And that's what we use with the business to say, this is how payroll is delivering. I love that phrase, the ecosystem, because there's, there's teams around your team at all different points. How do you build those bridges in that common language with HR and with finance that allow you to agree those metrics and the things that matter across the business? I won't say that it's a simple process and I wouldn't say that it's it, it's necessarily straightforward, but I think a lot of it has to be open communication and understanding. Ultimately, everybody has the employee experience at heart. And I think it's that given doing the best by our employees that is the driver for it. And that's what we use as the basis. So that's the common territory where all teams come together to, to understand that what you're doing ultimately impacts that employee's experience of working with Microsoft and being part of the, the Microsoft family. And I don't think it's, I don't, I mean, that's the ethos in Microsoft. I don't think that's unique. I think, you know, a lot of country, companies have the same ethos. It's, you know, you're there, your employees are your biggest asset. 
Um, and in so many companies, that is the reason, you know, and especially in some companies where the delivery is through the employees, i.e., you know, for consulting firm or whatever. Without the employees, you're nothing. You have no asset to sell. So you have, obviously, the core task is delivering payroll, but you're building these relationships and interactions with other teams, country management teams, the, the HR team. So as you've started to get more visibility a, a, across the world of, of, of payroll, how is how are the, the payroll teams um, using or, or enhancing what they do across the business? You know, are they in a position now where they're able to use better data to, to share with stakeholders and, and, and sort of perhaps challenge some of those perceptions that exist around payroll that it's only about running the payroll in a compliant fashion, but it's also you know, there's, there's data that that team is holding that they're the only people in the business who have that information. So as you build those bridges, does that dialogue grow? Yes, I think it does. And I think the ability, having a global way of working, a global process and an alignment makes a big difference in what you're able to do. Um, If you have all your countries delivered, um, payrolls delivered in country and it's all separate and there's no pooling of information, it's very hard to then use that that information in in a wider scale because it's very country focused. So yes, we are now seeing the benefits of having that central point of and and the way we process data and the alignment and and the information that's given and and you know the way we gather information um what's passed to us the timeliness of it and also having the overall exposure to what happens globally what do we do globally what's different what's aligned what can we change how can we work and the efficiencies and effectiveness that comes from that that we we just didn't have the visibility to before um but also the controls and the way we work so that we can see what's going through, um, where our risks are, where our pain points are. Um, and then, But then the information that we can give back to the business, you know, on our, inf- our sort of reporting on spend and all the rest. Different, there's different there's different dynamics depending on what you're looking at doing your cash flow versus you know your actual projection on spend, you know, those sort of things. Once you've got a centralised database, it makes it different. It's getting there and we are now moving into that piece, having obviously gone through, you know, a good five plus years of transition, six years, you know, of transition. It's now coming together. So I think we will realise that more and more as we go forward. The more um, the more time I've spent with you, I've got to know more about your payroll and your role and what Microsoft does. And I like the way that you use your own products to help streamline the process. And they're products that are available to a lot of people, aren't they, with regards to communication, signing off, like authority. Yeah. Uh, so how long did that take for you to build that process? Or was it a, a tool that was already available and you thought, okay, we should be using this within our own department? So, yeah, for us, I mean, using our own tools. So the reason that um, the Microsoft payroll for the US is in-house is it's on our service. It's it's proven that you can run, you know, the payroll of that scale, you know, on our service. And that was done years ago. Um, but yes, when we moved to the international um, model and the uh, piece that we were doing, I mean, we use a CRM system. We use our own. And we develop, you know, we took the package that is available that anybody can go and buy. That is what we use. And that CRM is fundamental to us delivering our payroll. 
every query, every piece of input, everything goes through CRM. We don't accept it any other way. So that data allows us to analyze. We then take the data from the CRM and we put it in Power BI. And that is our dashboard that we use to understand where our issues are, where our queries are, how we're trending on, how long things are taking, what countries, where stuff's sitting. So we have that analysis daily, weekly, monthly. We can see trending back um, and we can um, sort of dive into different pain points and see what's happening. And then we also use um, another tool, Microsoft Flow, which is like a workflow tool that allows us to do sign-offs um, to eradicate paper within both within internal teams where, you know, the, the US team, for example, where they're sitting in an office. So it's very easy to use paper to do sign-off. Everything now flows through using um, an app. Um, but for, for the international side, so service delivery managers anywhere around the world can uh, request additional spend um, that I have to authorise and no matter where I am, it comes through and I can see why are they wanting the spend, how much is it, who's paying for it, where's it coming, what's it doing and I can authorise it and it goes through allocated a number and that number is tallied with the invoicing so when the invoicing team in the US comes to pay the invoices they can see, yep, Joy authorised this at this time, yep, I go, I've got to cost charge it to the country or no, it's been, the cost is being taken in, in, centrally and that's something we're doing and when we're looking all the time the next area for us is you know having like a digital assistant in using information and um, being able to interact with employees and the way we work so and that's something we again our own tool that we have not developed internally just for Microsoft it's one of the tools we use and and financing Microsoft is very, very good at taking the Microsoft tools and ways of working and changing what we do. And, and it's, it's quite exciting to be part of that and have that, you know, support from the business to drive using the, the, the tools to make things better. And, and are they individuals, are they people within um, the finance function or are they sort of techie people developing these? No, I mean, so the, so the actual... The, the flow for doing the signing off of off cycles was for someone from my team and someone finance who had an understanding of this app working with the, the people to, to actually put it together that, that wasn't technical CRM different that's a, there's a CRM team we work with but I have one of my team who takes the requirements and works with the, the CRM team to get it you know dynamic CRM to develop it the way we need it to be you know power bi we work on ourselves and you know the tools there and we just you know tailor it as to what we need to do and you know our questions if we need to but yeah a lot of them are you know tools that you any anybody can buy and use they're not designed for you know us specifically within Microsoft it's very much what we want to show as a business others can use so you're building a function then or you've built a function internally where there are high skill set specialized analytical tasks and change management tasks that are being managed in-house and then some elements are, are outsourced to third-party providers and that allows you to get scale and, and resource across those countries. One of the things you touched on just as we were getting ready to, to get set up was actually the potential talent gap coming up in the market um, in terms of, you know, a lot of people fell into payroll. Uh, this is your phrase, Mel. You talk about this a lot in terms of people fall into payroll and then and then stay with it. Um, are we doing enough as an industry to bring talent into uh, payroll and to bring the right skills into payroll so that that business analytics, that process management, the change management, as well as the core operational skills of, of, of payroll are available to businesses as they as they grow no i don't think we are but i don't think that's just a failure of payroll i think there is a 
there is a whole shift in the way we work and, and, and the way we will work in the future that I think we need to start to address because roles are changing. The skills we need to deliver now are not necessarily the ones that we needed 10, 15 years ago. And we need to make sure that we are um, equipping the net, the workforce to be able to deliver that way. Um, we talk about automation, AI, and there is the natural, um, that's going to take away jobs. Yes, it will check, it will take away some jobs, but it will create others because people will need to be able to use that automation, those ways of working, um, and be able to do the analysis and the, and the management and understand what's happening. So it's, it's, the roles are changing. And I think that's, that's broadly across all industries, all ways of working. And I think payroll's part of that. And yeah, a lot of people did fall into payroll. I fell into payroll. Um, and uh, years ago, I was always very wary if anyone ever said they wanted to work in payroll. It's like, oh, you're a bit weird. I don't, <laughs> you know, same as I would say for my, you know, whereas I think now, and the, the reliance on payroll um, now in, in the complexity of before it was you put the money in an envelope and then it's evolved and the, the tax and the social security. And it's moving on again and again. And those complexities, and especially with global, when you, you can't just say, OK, what, what do I need to know for a UK payroll? It's now, OK, UK payroll, but they might be going to work in some time abroad. So what does that mean? And, you know, those once you start going globally, there's all sorts of complexities that you need to understand and appreciate wider than just your role so, so how do we promote the industry to get those people on because I, I know when uh, people say what do you do and then we tell I tell them what I do and then I, then I leave it to the end in the payroll sector like in the payroll industry because people don't know what payroll is and it's like I've had so many people just say well, what's payroll well, you get paid so that's basically what what the payroll industry is so how do we get people that are the right level or actually you know all, we need all different sorts of people how do we get them to to get to pay into the payroll industry i think we need to have it as a at the education level because and i think it comes down to a lot of things with money management and the ways you know how things how things work how things come to be how you um you receive your money at the end of the day, what it means, what's your liability, you know, what does your national insurance mean? What does your, your tax mean? What does happens to it? Not just that it gets taken off you. It's that whole e eco system around payroll and, you know, your pension contributions and what that means. And I think if we started educating people and, and you know, with, with those pieces in school, and, and, you know, further education, then it becomes part of, okay, that's an understanding. The same as you learn about, you know, architecture or you learn about building or you learn about, you know, computer science or whatever. You you start to get an understanding and then you start to open your mind to them. We don't open people's minds to anything in those areas at the mm. moment. It's just like you, I mean, I know for years and years I got a, 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 an amount of money in the bank. It's like, oh, that's great. I have no idea how it got to that calculation. You know, it was just some things get taken off it, but no understanding how and I don't I don't think we ever educate it's no. just you get paid you people don't see but but that money is important and when you understand that without those you know your national insurance being deducted we wouldn't pay the pensions in this country we wouldn't have you know the uh, sort of the, the NHS and all the rest those those that money going into that central fund and what it means and why it needs to be done as it is we've mentioned in the last couple of podcasts uh, um Hayley, one of Hayley's friends, wasn't aware that they were going to be taxed. 
And she was like, so how, you know, she's come out of university, got her first job, and she's like, to her parents, well, how do I get the money back? Like, why have they taken it away? And you think somebody's from a university level, surely, I mean, it's naivety, surely should know about tax. Yeah, and how you get, you know, all the pieces that go. And it's not just, it's not just the, the calculation, it's not just the receiving pay, it's the what goes into it. And why does that happen? And then people understanding how that works. And I think I've mentioned before as well, and I'll mention it a lot actually, so Sweden have um, colleges for people that want to learn about payroll. So somehow we need to look at that. And I think um, they're private colleges, but they get funded by the government. Um, and they um, provide education from school leavers all up to returning mothers and, and, and fathers actually returning to work from having um, looking after children. So maybe that's what we need to do on a more global basis of actually having colleges purely for payroll. Yeah, I think it, I think it's starting it early, but it's shaping the workforce because there's different there's different requirements and different rules, and and the more and more we move to to taxes and that being dealt with directly at source, the more that we need to have the educated and people that can actually understand the implications and what needs to be the next stages and take the payroll onto the next level. And as you look ahead over the next five years, and and you, you touch on compliance. It, it, it feels like an area where actually there will be more and more government interest and government interaction because it's so important to the the, the finances of, of, of every country in terms of the tax system and the development. So how do you go about creating a, a model that can adapt to all the changes in the regulatory environment in all the countries in which you operate? So for us, because we have um, a strong outsourcing model, our, our requirements and our you know, our reliance is very much on our payroll providers that we work with to actually support us in doing in doing that and ensuring that what what comes in as new legislation is actually then you know our payrolls are compliant. But I think the other side of it as well, though, is actually having that um, wider understanding of what is needed in workforces and and and, and ways of working now. And how how that can fit with the structure that you have in payroll today. So I get asked quite a lot about you know having people that you know paid immediately and you know on demand and all the rest. And um, you know in some countries we're able to do that, but but that's because of the way the tax and the social security works and that you know you can do. Whereas in other countries you say well that's fine, you might want to pay them on demand, but you still only have the choices of whatever your tax is based on your payroll frequency. So you know there's and and understanding those implications and where you have the opportunity to voice and influence being able to do that or even just being able to assess where okay yes that might be a requirement but actually with the with the structure we have what risk would it do if you try to put something into it that isn't necessarily built to support that way so, you know, I had immediately, oh, well, what are you going to do that in the UK? You're going to pay on demand. Well, yeah, I can, but it'd be in advance because I have to do my, you know, my processing for tax and social security on a monthly basis. And, you know, so yes, I can do it, but it's never going to be accurate until I post, you know. Is it? Is that, um, do you see that as sort of being the future, the payment on demand? Um, I think it is something that payroll as a, as a function needs to, and an needs to get to, to grips with and understand how they can do it and also what the um, parameters are that allow it to happen or not happen um, and being able to educate that way. But I think it very much depends on your workforce and what you're doing. You know, not everybody wants to be in a full-time job with full contracted hours and therefore, you, you know, you need to look at the, you know, the requirements for people. And, and 
it's we live we live in an, a way now where everything's on hand it's in your it's in your hand it's on your phone and being able to respond and do having apps and ways of interacting that that we, we never had before we we always were like oh well you just ask a query and you know and it you, you do it by phone or whatever that doesn't happen now you know even even in microsoft we don't have any employee it's, it's no phone contact. Everything is done through, you know, our CRM system and the portals and all the rest for, for logging queries because it allows us to go through. But then having the ability to have the information to hand, I think, is the, the, the area that's going to come more than anything. But then it's understanding that because of all the complexities around GDPR and data security and privacy and all the rest and what that means. It's no good just saying, I'll send you something on an app if then that app isn't secure and anybody can access data. We've talked a couple of times in this series about um, financial wellness and it's people's financial literacy, but also you know, those scary facts that I think on the average person's maybe three or four paychecks away from homelessness in terms of just people living at, at, at such a level if something goes very wrong. But also research, when you talk about flexible and on-demand pay, um, research shows that it's something that is of interest to people because everybody has unexpected expenses. However, the practicalities of doing it, you know, if it's if it's an actual payment, well, is the tax authority going to take tax payment at the point of payment? And, and are they set up to do that? So it's going to be, uh, I think, a very fragmented picture of, of the, the countries are going to do it differently. And it's just one more challenge for the function to, to look at and absorb. But I think it, it does go back to the significance of pay in people's lives and and one of the things that you know i, I always find it's interesting to talk to people about is, is payroll is the process of managing an outcome in terms of, of, of pay and it's pay that empowers people to lead the lives they want to live to to do the things they need to do so it, it, it that sort of outside in perspective of looking at you touched on employee experience and your team being part of an overall microsoft employee experience as opposed to just being detailed running the process because you can look at the process and you can say yeah there's some great challenges here artificial intelligence will do this the technology can solve for that but take a step back and look at the employee picture and, and their relationship with pay, I think opens up new kinds of conversation around um, what, what employees want from their pay. And, and what they don't want is pay on demand that isn't compliant with the tax regulation, for example, because that just gives them more headaches. Exactly. I think, I think employees want certainty. So they want to know when they're going to get paid, how they're going to get paid, um, and, and what that what that means when they're going to get it so it, the minute there is something when you have uncertainty that's when you start getting queries you start getting problems people start you know asking questions and going but if the if you know that you're going to get your money in the bank on this time and you get your notification to tell you it's there in the main people are happy as if that's if they get what in their pay what they expect to get and they know and if they have a problem i know i need to do this and this is how i deal with it, it it helps an awful lot. You have uncertainty. I don't know when I'm going to get paid. I don't know when I'm going to get this. I don't know. And that causes all sorts of problems. So it doesn't, it's not so much, okay, I need it every day. It's like, I know I get paid on the 25th of the month. And as long as it's there, I'm happy because I know that's what I'm going to get and what, how long till I get my next payment. And I think sometimes if you can bring that into, you know, security, understanding and knowing is sometimes one of the biggest battles there to were, win. There was a survey uh, um, run recently. I think it's one in six employees would um, leave if their payroll was late or paid incorrectly on a regular basis. But I think there's also about the financial well-being as well. We were just mentioning earlier that 
one of the payday uh, loans put out of the market today. Um, and I think one of the aspects which has been sold to me by some of the uh, software providers is that they're trying to combat uh, the payday loan scenario for people's financial well-being. But I don't know. I don't know if that will definitely work. No, I think and there are complexities to it. And, and as I say, I think it, it depends how your workforce is. Because if you're going to get paid every single you know month and you've got your full time, then you know there's times when you might want bits. But you know the practicality of saying, okay, I've done a day's work payment. I've done a day's work payment. You know, just you couldn't source a payroll to do that the, the function would become too too great to deal with but I remember when I first started working and I remember somebody saying to me that payroll is one of the most important functions within the business because it is one of the things that this is one of the few areas the business gives to the employees employees give to the business but the payroll is seen as being the bit you know it's a tangible thing that somebody gets every single month and that is seen as how the business views you so we we the environment now yes there is i'm not saying that's the only thing a business does and get me wrong there's a lot more in with the well-being and benefits that we provide as a you know now to, to employees but there was that piece you know you you get your paste up in your hand and very pe- much people view that as that's the business giving to me so if you don't do it you don't do it right it has quite an impression and as as we move that would have been at a time perhaps when payment in cash with a printed payslip certainly that's how I got my first payslips were in a, an envelope with some cash and, and, and you felt that the week had gone well or the month had gone well as we've moved towards a more digital experience direct deposit into a bank account um, digital uh, payslips whether that's a, a legally compliant pdf kind of payslip or a different kind of online experience how does how does Microsoft use that touch point with the the employee um, is it is it very much about a functional payslip or are there are other things that you're doing with the tools to communicate the total pay or the pay experience to the employee so the, so from the at the moment it's still very much the payslip goes in and interestingly although you'll say yes it's it's you know we have it all on apps and all through the if somebody doesn't get that notification to have their payslip then then there's a problem and sometimes people will view, they've got their payslip, uh, therefore I must be paid. And if the payslip comes out early and it's like, okay, we send the payslip out, you know, you have an error. Oh, payslip went out on the 23rd. You don't get paid till the 25th. We'll get queries to say, I've not been paid. No, you're not due till the 25th, but it's that natural. So there is still that piece or somebody will go and check in the bank every single time. Okay, my money's there or not. You know, if there's been some sort of issue or whatever, my money's not there. So although we've gone to this virtual world where we say, okay, through pay slips and, and, you know, the money goes automatically into the bank, people still check, people still look for that pay slip and do. So yes, we've moved. Um, We... Very much the the, the, the payslip piece is still what we need to do. And I think the next stage will be using that information more. But for us, globally, there's still so much complexity. In some countries, we still have to do a paper payslip. So we might take that view. OK, we get it. You know, we virtually that's not globally. So, you know, there are, and it's trying to find a way. What we try to do very much in Microsoft is not have all our employees are as equal and important. So it is we we try not to say, okay, we'll develop this for this country and everybody else doesn't get it because we can do it in that country, we can't do it in the rest of the world. It's what can we do for everybody. So our employee experience, the way they interact um, with payroll um, is exactly the same no matter where you are in the world. 
so we don't have layers or whatever. So very mindful as well when we come to those areas. Um, yes, sometimes we might say, okay, there's an online portal you can use here and necessarily because that's the complexity of the country. But I wouldn't like, I'm very cautious of taking, okay, let's go and develop this for one group of employees, but you can't have it because you don't have that. It doesn't, it doesn't sit right. It doesn't feel right because it almost makes two levels of employees and that doesn't, doesn't fit in the ethos. Yeah, you can almost see there's a, a paid design role. How do you create that process around the world? There's a, a pay compliance opportunity, making sure you're fitting with all the regulatory. There's a, a pay experience person, maybe, in terms of how that touches somebody um, and, and, and how it contributes. And I love what you're saying about everybody's equal across the organization and, and it creates a common pay experience. Even in 105 countries that, where the actual techniques might be different but the experience you're aiming for is the same um, that's a that's a really interesting challenge for a lot of businesses to to achieve um, just getting that consistency of experience across their global organization yeah and we don't always get it right but we that's what we strive for because i think that, that is our main that is our main focus is our employee experience and like i say we don't always get it right but we that's what we we really try to do is to deliver and that was the that was the basis of what we moved to in 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 the model for the international side the, the u.s side the the way they work and that it, it i mean it's a fantastic payroll in the way it delivers um and the way employees are you know the experience they have for payroll in the US is just amazing. Um, but it's a very different model for the, for the international. But then there's different complexities and different ways of working. So, you know, it's not trying to be the same um, in in that way, but the employee experience is. And I think that's what... I don't actually hear that from a lot of people to to see that everyone is dealt as, as the same. I think sometimes when you talk to some global payroll directors or managers, um, it feels fragmented. So that's that's quite a nice message, really. I wouldn't say. I mean, the way it's delivered underneath is a bit like you know. Sometimes it's 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 all smooth on the top. Sometimes we're pedaling really really hard underneath, and sometimes we're just coasting. But it's you know, it's the aim for the employee. So if an employee's got a query in one country, it is exactly the same method no matter where they are in the world, and the same for a manager. It, we might deal with it differently. There might be different manual processes that have to go underneath. There might be different payroll providers, different ways of working. But at that employee experience and manager level, that's the same. The process is the same, unless there is a legal requirement for us to do it differently. That's the the one time we deviate is if you can't do that in a country because that you know legally you're not allowed to or whatever, and that's the time we deviate. So you've been in the industry for quite a long time, and I feel that you have got to a senior level within uh, the payroll industry for people coming into payroll or people that have been there but want the next step up what sort of tips would you would you give them I think for me um I've I've never been one of these people that's had a um career path that said I want to be here in five years ten years or whatever I I've always been open to opportunity and whatever opportunities come through um taking that next step and, and, and moving through. So it might be that it, it seems to be sideways sometimes, but actually that can lead you on a different path and take you forward. So it's it's being it's being open to what is is coming and it doesn't necessarily have to be one path, just having that wide view and, and seeing what comes your way and how you can progress and change. 
And and on that journey, you know, we, we spent a little bit of time talking about leadership in, in, in payroll functions and across the business. So um, I'd be keen to hear some of your experiences, some of the best leaders that you've you've worked with and, and the people that you've worked for. Is there anyone who particularly helped you on that on your way or who recognized something in you? And, and if so, what was that and, and how did that happen? So interestingly, I think I'd probably say some of the people that I've learned the most from aren't necessarily the best leaders, because I think that's where I've then finding my strength to then move forward and deal with something. Because it's either, again, coming back to I, I do it or I allow them to to do to me. Um, and I think being respectful and doing, but, you know, some of the people that I've learned the most from aren't necessarily the ones that have been my the best leaders that I've had. So it's just having that strength, you know, when I've looked at things thinking, no, this doesn't sit right. It's, there's the respect. Um, there's always that, you know, and appreciating somebody who's a leader, but that doesn't always make them right. And, and, and how you deal with it can vary because sometimes you can just say, okay, I'm going to wait this one out. I accept they're not, I'm not going to get from them what I want and therefore I will wait this one out and see what happens or it's I can take in control, I'm going to change what I do, my role or whatever or I'm going to challenge because I don't believe in, you know, the what what is happening here and, and, and getting your voice. So I think actually when I think about, I'm not going to name names but then I think actually for influencing probably sometimes, I think I've learned always, always learned the most in my career when things haven't gone right rather than when things have. Love that approach. Yeah. It's painful. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's been interesting in some of these conversations about how there are sometimes some gender stereotypes associated with the confidence to do that. And and, um, sort of talking about where people uh, take their own personal drive from. and, and, And so we've talked a little bit about mentorship in previous programs and role models and behaviors and seeing people in the industry do that and, and realize perhaps perhaps nothing bad happened. I mean, sometimes things do happen. You express an opinion and people disagree with you and, and bad things can happen. But more often in my experience, positive things will happen with that. So as, as you look back or as you look across the industry, how would you encourage people to to think about that and think about how they're contributing in their role, when to express an opinion, how to express an opinion, um, and, and to follow the path that you've followed, if you like, because it's clearly worked for you. If you fully believe in something and you think feel it's the right thing to do, um, you, I, I condone going, going for it, because I think, you know, if you feel you need to challenge and you are 100% convinced you need to challenge then that's what you need to do but learn from what the impact what what that does so if it gives you success then you know that's the right thing if it doesn't learn from it don't just think okay repeat repeat so it's that you know tailoring your style and your you know your influencing from others come in let you know Take the best from others take the best from situations watch learn react I mean there's things things that I now deal with and do that ten years ago I'd have probably been ill at the thought of it because I've just like okay do you know what it, the world doesn't collapse when I do this or you know I don't fall apart I am you know I am able to and I think that just comes with sort of having that maturity and I don't necessarily mean with age I think sometimes in view so it's yes do something 
but recalibrate and look at what that what the impact of that was was it the right thing to do if it was great move on if it wasn't oh how could you have done it differently and I think if you can always be I don't say second guess yourself but always be evaluating yourself and what you need to do that's like a common theme isn't it with these podcasts it's like don't give up try just try something try and and then learn from it so maybe that's one of the biggest messages from these podcasts is that you know don't be afraid of trying because you you'll get some success you'll get some failure but learn from it yeah because if you fail you can take something away from it if you don't try you're no further forward do you think um that's some of the british culture because obviously hopefully there's people from all around the world listening to our podcast and i know um in the u.s failure is quite um a positive thing um do you think in the in the uk failure is seen as a negative thing and actually we just need to change that mindset and and embrace failure to a certain extent I don't know whether it's a UK trait that you could say. I think there's different influences and different things in life that come through um, in the way you interact. And you can very often, I mean, how often do you hear the difference between the way men deal with things to the way women deal with things and the confidences and ability, you know, that we've heard so much, you know, different sort of genders deal with things in different ways so I don't know whether it's a UK piece or culture piece you just mentioned about uh, the way men deal with things and women deal with certain things have you come across or do you have an experience where it's highlighted the way that you've behaved that maybe it would be perceived differently if a man had behaved the same way I don't think it's so much, I haven't, I haven't, not so much as in I've reacted in something and if it was a, a man it's different, but I think it's, I think I try to take it in, in the way I approach things because I, I know and there's, there's lots of, there's lots of research and information around that, you know, for very often with the way, um, men will take a challenge, go for it, you know, and it's, it is that, uh, I succeed or I fail, but I've gone forward and, you know, women have in the past, some women have always gone, oh, unless I know I'm going to do fair pass, I'm not going to take the risk. And I'm a bit, I try, try to take the risk and say, right, I'm just going to do it because it, it works. And I think it's that changing that perception within business and w- the way women are perceived in some areas. Was it a conscious effort to do that? Yes, yeah. very, very much. So you've, you've, you've come a long way. Um, do you have any achievements or do you have a number of achievements that you're you're proud of I think I'm I'm proud of where I am today and I will be more proud of where I am tomorrow I don't feel like I've finished or succeeded or done until the day I die because it's just an evolving my my point to get to here is has been an evolution and it carries on evolving and I just take my influences and and where I get to and if it all stopped tomorrow I you know I'd be happy I don't have some okay that's my ultimate goal um it's just yeah I'm happy with where it where I go and excellent so that feels like a a a good place to end (laughs) Uh, many options many flexibilities um, thank you, Joy. That was, it was a really interesting um, journey through your past and a look to the future of, of the industry. And uh, well, we continue the series of interesting conversations. Yeah, thank you very much, Joy. You're welcome. This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide. 
and connect with your local global expert.